So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Everybody, this is Brian. Obviously, we recorded this rollicking edition of the Monsters of Socks before we knew that Yoshinobu Yamamoto signed with the Dodgers for 12 years, $325 million. So I don't think the Red Sox are going to sign him. And that's why we don't talk about it. Anyhow, happy holidays from all of us and enjoy one of the less sober versions of our show. You're not in a festive after mood. dark, end of year extravaganza. Dan, how are you doing? Happy is this is this Festivus Day? What's Festivus Day? Festivus is the 23rd. This is gonna come out on the 22nd. It's pretty okay. it's like effectively festive. It it didn't occur to me until you mentioned that when I was texting with you today and and sort of being Sort of trying to say in so many words that I didn't want. I didn't feel like recording today. <laughs> and you mentioned, and you mentioned the Festivus, and you mentioned the idea for this podcast, which we'll get into shortly. But it didn't occur to me until you do that 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 we did a Festivus episode last year, didn't we? I mean, if you we did an that, airing of grievances. Uh, yeah, I mean that's pretty much every episode. <laughs> that's true okay. does that ring a bell though did we because i actually can't I, I was trying to think of this i can't remember any of my grievances uh because, maybe because as you said that is every episode 
Yeah. Maybe that's why I can't remember them. I didn't know you were trying to get out of this episode. I thought you were excited. I'm actually very excited about the. Uh... I am. Uh, let me clarify. I'm super excited right now. I wasn't excited when you first proposed the idea, and then I actually spent some time coming up with my takes. And look. Am I saying we're definitely going to be canceled by the end of this episode? No. Am I saying it's possible? Sure, it's possible. Zam, uh, Dan has some Israeli Defense Forces takes. Is that that's what he's saying? <laughs> he has some takes. This is the Monsters of Socks. As I said, this is, the, this is our take purge. If anybody is listening to this and is uh Listener to a specific podcast that would be the Ringer Fantasy Football Show, which won't mean anything to anybody who doesn't listen, but they have what they call a take perch at the end of every draft cycle, at the end of every uh, preseason cycle, where they just empty the chamber for takes. It, they, they may not even agree with the takes they're saying, but they just fucking let them go. Yeah, And my suggestion was that this is the last episode of the year for us. Um, <clears throat> we are intentionally not as sober as we could be to just fucking let it what, fly. What are, what are, what are you, uh, what are you drinking right now? Just curious. So what I did for this particular episode was I very specifically like, there's been some pre gaming. Okay. But I bought one of these 10% beers and I'm going to start it right now. With which, but okay, but what like is it? Is it like a malt liquor or is it like a New England IPA? What it's is... a uh, an impu- It's a tropical beer hug. It's not malt liquor. I mean, it's not not malt liquor, but it's from the Goose Island uh, Company. Goose Island, okay. Um, which some, by the way, when I was in college, I went to the Goose Island Brewery <clears throat> on the north side of Chicago, and it was you know it was fine. They had beer, and I liked it. Uh, what are you drinking? That looked like whiskey. It is. This is so. I am drinking a Japanese whiskey tonight. This is my last hipster ass attempt. Well, uh, no. What what it is? I'm a team player, motherfucker. This is my last dis- ditch attempt at creating some good karma with Yamamoto or Mister for Mister Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Um, because things are not looking good, Brian. Yes, uh, how, how are it's How are you feeling work. about? Um, I don't know about you. I actually, I, I hadn't totally given up on things when we got the reports that you know, though they actually haven't. It, I hadn't totally given up when we got the reports that he hadn't visited Fenway. When I mostly gave up was when I saw Alex Cora's uh, Rob Bradford podcast appearance. When Rob started the whole thing off by saying, let's cut right to the chase, Yamamoto. It's not a good thing. They didn't go to Fenway, right? And Cora got all all coy and dropped this sly smile and was like, I can't confirm whether or not he came to Fenway. Dude, that was Otani. That was Otani who wanted you to keep everything secret. Yamamoto hasn't given a shit at all about keeping things secret and has in fact been very active on social media about where he's been and where he's going. It, by all accounts, it seems like Yamamoto is a very different personality than Shohei Otani. It seems like he's a guy that wants the spotlight and wants to be a star and, and is, 
you know, is not hiding anything about his free agency. And so to see Alex Cora then go up there and be and, pre- and pretend to be secretive about it, I was like, oh shit, it's it's over, isn't it? Did you see the picture of Yamamoto and Otani standing next to each other? I did. I saw it, I saw it when you uh, quote tweeted it. Yeah. Otani is not a human being. He's massive. No, but here's the thing. This is actually a take. I've, this is not part of my take purge. This is just a regular take I, I've had for a long time. I've had this take actually ever since I saw David Ortiz, David America Ortiz, in the bathroom of a restaurant in the seaport in street clothes. The baseball uniform is so unflattering. And I think that it's possible that baseball would be a much more popular sport, both in the United States and worldwide, if they wore uniforms that actually showed people how fucking huge and jacked all of these players are. Because they really are. And yet they're wearing, and David Ortiz is a perfect example of it because David Ortiz in a Red Sox uniform, like, looked kind of fat. Looked like he had a belly hanging over his belt a little bit. You know, was the prototypical sort of overweight slugger. David Ortiz in street clothes looks just like a fucking tank of a human being who could snap you in half just by looking at you. Um, so that's, this is, this is a, this is a, a pre-take purge take baseball team should wear shorts and, and, and tank tops. I think I've mentioned this, but my dad is a doctor and he lives in Arizona and he was at a, I don't think you have mentioned that a hospital event at one point And he walks in and he sees from behind this person and he's like, that person is so huge. Who is that person? Like that is person is ma- just like with the most massive person you've ever seen, and it was Shilling. And he's just like he's just so, yeah, just huge. And I think I've told, I've definitely told this story on the podcast where I was sitting, and this is among amongst baseball players. I was sitting front row at uh, Comiskey, the the one that exists now, but like. In the very, and I saw Frank Thomas in the batting circle, uh, in the on deck circle. I like this is you're the. I literally said to him, "You're the biggest person I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> he like, is. He's he was so like, and obviously not because of steroids. He's just the <clears throat> biggest guy I've seen. Like, oh, you're fucking huge. They they all are. They all are. Justin Turner. I, I mean, I, I, again, to 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 repeat a, a story we've told in the pod for the third time already, eight minutes into this episode. You know, I I think I told I I mentioned how I used to sometimes take my lunch in the courtyard of a midtown hotel where American League teams would sometimes stay, and I would see those guys go out to the bus to take the bus to Yankee Stadium. And they, yeah, they're just, they're, they're huge. They're massive. Well, like you said, like, they're huge. Well, like, so Seth Meyers, notable Red Sox fan, but he's one of those Red Sox Steelers fans. So he kind of doesn't count. But one of those, are there a lot of them or is it just him? No, there's others. But uh, uh, 
But he said to Derek Jeter on Saturday Night Live, like, I used to say if I saw uh, Derek Jeter in real life, I would kick your ass. And uh, now I see you, and I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're just huge. But anyhow, this is the take, Purge. We're going to have some absolutely fire fucking takes for you guys to end 2023. Because there's been some drinking and there's been some brooding. And we're going to get these two things intersecting. There's been some brooding. Let me ask you a question before we start. How many of your takes have to do with the Red Sox as they stand today? Um, half of them I realized half of the I have six to deal with. I have six written down. What are you, Pepper? What are you doing? My dog has just decided she's found a bowl she's gonna eat out of. I don't even know what's in it. Um, half of my takes have the word bloom in them, just so you know. Okay, <laughs> none of my, t- my all of my takes are more kind of evergreen, they actually don't have anything to do with the team as it currently stands. So if if you had so that's why I was going to ask because if you have things that are more relevant to the team, then that's good. It can actually it can serve as a jumping off point for us to to discuss the state of the Red I don't Sox even, right now. I'm not even standing by having all these takes by the end. I think I'm going to innovate <clears throat> as we talk. Um, okay. So before we get to, that, I am going to get us canceled by the end. Not okay, not like real canceled, not like MSNBC canceled, but canceled by Red Sox. I don't, I don't know what MSNBC canceled means. But before I we do that, we're going to take a break so that we can come back. We can get the ad money before we just get cut off entirely. That's smart. That's right. really strategic. All right. We'll be back in a second. All right. We're back. It is time for the 2023 Monsters of Stocks take purge. Dan, would you like to go first? I, I will go first because it's a good say. My first one is a layup. My first one is not even uh, that hot of a take. It's actually something I've been more than happy to talk about for 28 years now. But since we were just talking about Derek Jeter, I'll lead off with this layup. Uh, and here's the deal. Derek Jeter is at best – a borderline Hall of Famer, and his face looks like he's permanently having an allergic reaction to bee stings. That's my take, Brian Joyner. It's a mild one, I know, I know, but yeah, I mean that's not too hot. Um, let me ask, let me ask you a question. Looks, I, he definitely looks, uh, you know, his face does look a little puffy. Yeah, I'll give you that. Here are some numbers that I've had memorized for most of my adult life. Um, do you know what Barry Larkin's career B-War is? No. What 70.5. I've, I've had that memorized for years. Do you know what Alan Trammell's career B-War is? Didn't he just make the whole thing? 70.6. Is one one hundredth more of B-War. Do you know what Derek Jeter's is? What? 71.3. Okay, I don't know how they that's are essentially. Argument. I don't know how that's an argument that he's not a Hall of Famer. 
That's I said right. borderline Hall of Famer because those three are essentially three identical baseball players. That all Derek in Jeter the Hall of Fame in hope. Derek Jeter got in on the first ballot. Barry Larkin, Barry Larkin, it took eight years. Alan Trammell, it took twenty-two years to make the Hall of Fame. They I are mean, three identical baseball players. Derek goes, Jeter. This goes bias, baby. It's it's not even just East Coast bias. It's just flat-out New York bias. I mean, you think I'm going to argue against that? No, you're not. You're not. Yeah, or you, Mr. <laughs> Mister. Like Fort I said, Street. like I said, it was, a, it was a layup. It was an easy one to get us started. Derek I don't Jeter, even think that's a layup. Borderline Hall of Famer at best. At All right. best. All right, let me go with my first one because let's – I mean, I'm going back to the well for something that I've talked about a lot. But I'm, but I am going to the wall. I think that Hyam Bloom's moves outside of the Mookie trade are ultimately even worse than the Mookie trade. My point being that, like, as bad as that was. The rest of it was worse. Okay. I think that that is becoming increasingly obvious, actually. That was my one issue. This is like, I was like, this might just be common sense at this point. Look, here's the deal. I, we don't want to, we don't want to get into a 15 minute relitigation of the bloom era but i think it's telling there's a couple of things we already talked on the pod today one you know we talked about the juan soto trade when it happened and we talked about yeah, how he got, returned... to, he got traded to san diego what's the big deal <laughs> yeah no the other Juan Soto trade. what there's another one we talked about him getting traded to the yankees and how the return was exceedingly mediocre and yet the Red Sox, after four years of of focusing on building up the farm system at the expense of the major league team, didn't have the pieces to get the trade done themselves. <laughs> because what the Padres wanted was not just good prospects, but they wanted good pitching prospects. And the Red Sox have no good pitching prospects at the AA level or above. The fact that the fact that Haim Bloom spent four years focusing on rebuilding the minor leagues, and we're here four years later, and we still have no pitching prospects to speak of whatsoever, is insane. It's insane how bad that is. And you know, I wrote a piece. I wrote a piece for Over the Monster today about potentially trading for one of the Mariners. Four young stud pitchers, Logan Gilbert and George Kirby being the two that are mentioned most often because they're the two most established, but then Bryce Miller and Brian Wu being the two other guys who are sort of a year or two behind them. Bryce Miller and Brian Wu were both drafted in 2021, and they were both integral parts of the Mariners rotation this year in 2023. (laughs) 
And Ian Bloom had four drafts, and he got nothing. He got no pitching whatsoever. He didn't trade for any decent pitching. The pitching in the major league roster, of course, was a joke. I, I like, I can't believe, I can't believe he spent four years focusing on the minor league system. And hey, Marcelo Meyer, Roman Anthony, Kyle Teal, great. Love all you guys. Excited for all you guys. He totally neglected fifty percent of the game. He totally neglected fifty percent of the game. I. We're gonna get to Marcelo. Believe me, we're going to <laughs> But I, the only thing I could say is Brian Wu spells his name with a Y. So I have nothing against yes. Brian Wu. I would love, I would love, I would love for the Red Sox to get Brian Wu. All right. All right. Do so you have any, it. anything I, else I think, you want to say about the, about the roster in particular, because I think you're right. Like, I think this, I think this off season is showing us like how limited they actually are. The fact that all of us are kind of looking at this team right now and They're coming awful. to the realization that like, it's going to be another bridge here. It's going to be a yet another bridge here. So this is part of the reason, and we'll get it. Like, I don't have anything specifically about this, but this is part of the reason why I'm not panicking over the Red Sox lack of moves and the Breslow thing mm-hmm. is like, yes, Brezzo this year, and look, this is a huge amount of copium. I understand that. I'm fully aware of what, of what I'm talking about here. But they're in such a deep hole, they can't get out of it in one offseason. That's, that's sort of my take. And Yeah, no, I, that, that, is, that is kind of right. And, you know, there have been – there have been a couple of jokes a little bit about like, you know, the first moves that Breslow has made have looked kind of similar in certain ways to Heimblue moves. Um, With one major exception that he hasn't done. He didn't trade the best player on the team uh, for a guy who several years later is going to go up there and, uh, as Alex Verdugo did today, of all days. Um, yeah. Well, like, but well, what I was going to say, though, I, I was going to say, though, that actually, like, yes, superficially, they look like Bloom moves in the sense that in Tyler O'Neill and Richard Fitz, you're kind of getting guys who seem to be good buy low candidates who have surplus value. But you think about like Richard Fitz, like Richard Fitz was essentially the first move he made and he made it because he looked at the organization and he was like, shit, there is no pitching at the AAA level at all right now. We need somebody (laughs) to go in the Worcester rotation who can come up and make spot starts and not embarrass us like Matt Dermody and Kyle Barraclock in. So like. Yes, like the Richard Fitz move kind of looks a little Bloom-like, but actually if you look at it, what he was doing was like fixing this glaring hole in the entire organization that Bloom left. I don't even think that the um, Tyler O'Neill move, I mean, it was some ways evocative of Bloom, but it was proactive in a way that Bloom wasn't. It was not 
I feel like if if Bloom had done this move, it would have been in early January or maybe or maybe like now. Yeah. Where right. whereas like it fell through the cracks. Tyler O'Neill fell through the cracks and Bloom was like, oh, now is the time to pounce. I at least thought that the Tyler O'Neill move was a bit proactive. At the same yeah. time, yes, obviously I have PTSD from Bloom and the lack of moves right now isn't my favorite thing in the world. But I'm able to balance that with the idea that it's the first year for Breslow and if you can't it's a bigger job than a lot of us anticipated. Yeah. I mean, look, Yamamoto hasn't signed yet. So let's just wait and see what happens on that. Yeah. Front. I know it doesn't look good. I know it doesn't look good. Okay. I know. I know. I'm there. I'm here. I'm here. I'm a, I'm alive. I'm in the world. I know it doesn't look good, but he hasn't signed yet. Blake Snell hasn't signed yet. You know, there are, there are names out there. All right, go ahead. Do you have a number two? I do, and I'm once again. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take yours and segue right off of it. <laughs> you mentioned that the Mookie Betts trade is not going to be the, the worst part of Bloom's legacy. I'll tell you this: Mookie Betts decided that he was never going to re-sign with the Red Sox on the day of the 2018 World Series parade, and the team had no choice but to trade him. Why Why would he decide that? I th- There's an image from that day that has stuck in my head ever since that day. And I was at the parade. I didn't see this in person, but I was there. It has stuck in my head ever since. There was media coverage about it ever since. And I think it's meaningful. It is the images of Red Sox fans throwing cans of beer and little nips of alcohol up to Mookie Betts' duck boat. And Mookie Betts being visibly pissed off about it. And at one point wagging his finger at fans. Now we've had a lot of parades in Boston since 2002. A lot of parades. Every single one of these parades, fans have thrown alcohol up to the duck boats. This is the only incident I can remember in all these parades where it was an issue. And it wasn't just the pictures. Like I said, he addressed, he spoke about it to the media after the parade. He talked about how it was dangerous, how it put families at risk, how uncomfortable it made them feel. I think it's possible that Mookie, God love him, just knew that this wasn't the city for him and knew he was always going to leave and they had no choice then but to trade him. Okay, that, that is it. And I will never say this in, in any other form right. other than That's take what perch. This is for. Take perch. So I'm not saying you're wrong because I think that if you – if someone wants to connect the dots in a very um, obvious way, Mookie's fit for his star in LA might be better than his fit for a star in Boston. 
And that would seem to be a an indication that the culture of Boston was not ideal uh, for the culture for for Mookie, and obviously he won a World Series in L.A. But I don't know if they had a similar thing because it was twenty twenty. So like I don't know if they had a. I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure they didn't have brain. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But the the counterpoint is that that is the fucking excuse that all the hate that all the Bloom defenders have used. To defend the, the movie, oh, he well, was gone look, anyway. Well, you can still look. You can still you can still buy this take and hate High and Bloom if you want, because the fact of the matter is, like, even I, if you I had will. to trade him, thank you, I will. <laughs> even if you think you had to trade him for whatever reason, you sure as hell did not need to attach David Price's contract to him and thereby reduce the return for one of the greatest players of his generation to the point where now the return is a total laughing stock four years later. You didn't have to do that. Well, you chose but, to do that. But that's not all they attached. They they paid for David Price's contract on top of that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. So they paid a half of it or whatever. So like if you if you and and that's you know and, and that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of the you know, did they trade him because he was gonna leave anywhere, or did they trade him because they were just concerned about payroll? Like if if you were trading him just because you were sure he was gonna leave and you wanted to make a smart baseball move, there's no way in hell you would attach David Price's contract to it. There's no way in hell, because the return would have been so much better. Without David Price on it. Would have been so much better. How could you do better than Alex Verdugo? Cheater Downs and Connor Wall. I I look. You, you had you had a, in, a, as of as of May fifteenth, twenty twenty three, you had a lot of people genuinely saying that. Yeah, well, Yankees are two thirds of the way to having the whole thing. Uh all right, I'm gonna go next. And uh here we go. This is another. This one I don't blame High and Bloom for because it was sort of an automatic pick. But Marcelo Mayer's fool's, fool's gold and is not going to end up as anything. <laughs> God. Uh, this is this is something that actually needs to be discussed, but I don't want to talk about it. I All right, let me say it's right awful. It's bat. awful. Me... It's awful to consider. Let me just yell at you right off the bat. Please he was do. injured last year. He was injured. He got he, he got injured right before he was promoted to double A. He was never healthy at any at any time, at any point in Portland. And we it, like we can't read too much in, into any of those numbers. Let me get that right out there right now. He watch was me, watch hurt. Me do it anyway, buddy. He was hurt. Now, I will concede his bat has shown a lot more swing and miss than a lot of scouts and evaluators thought. I think even even with even before look, Red Sox fans, we're not used to getting the number four pick in the draft. That was that was, I believe, the highest pick they'd had in like. 36 years or something like that. I do think that 
they got the number four pick. The consensus top talent in the draft fell to number four. And a lot of fans I don't blame them went, for making the pick. A lot of like, fans just went, oh, was... no, of course. Of course you take him. And and you know what? And he still, like, he still could and probably will have a very productive major league career. I don't, I, I just, very productive might be. He's definitely going to make, he's definitely going to make the show. Like, that's. He could still be an all-star, Joyner. He still could. Like, we don't, we can't read too much into 2023 because of the injury. We can't read too much of it. But I do think that a lot of people just, a lot of Red Sox fans who, who aren't as familiar with how the draft works and how prospects work in general just saw, oh, we got the consensus number one player in the draft. He's obviously going to be a star. And the baseball draft just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. These guys bust all the time, and he still may. Or he might not bust, like you said, or as as we talked about many, many times when the Red Seat had had one of Baseball America's evaluators on and, and he said that right now, in his opinion, Marcelo Meyer is looking like he's headed towards uh, Heimer Candelario. Heimer Candelario, right? Yes. Like, like, great, productive player, good guy to have on your team. Not someone you need to build your organizational strategy around. Uh, so yes, I, I am both going to concede to your concern while also yelling at you and reminding you that he was hurt. We should not be reading too much into his Portland numbers yet. Well, I'm gonna, and I think that (laughs) if you want to be fair to the evaluation process, you got, look at a guy like Roman Anthony, who was not supposed to be on this level. And who is? And so you can say yeah. it's not a bloom take. This is just a process take. That like some yeah, some guys are gonna some guys are gonna pan out, and other guys aren't going to. It's why you shouldn't take a four year break from making your major league team competitive in order to build through the draft. Yeah, that's, that's the not... that's the takeaway that we should take from Roman Anthony and, and Marcelo Meyer. Don't take a four year break from your major league team in order to build through the draft. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. Yeah, there are better ideas than that. All right, you're up next. All right, I am up next. Speaking of roster construction, Brian Joyner, Theo Epstein is far, far, far luckier than he is actually good. I want you to take a moment. I want you to take a moment here and, and just imagine this scenario. 2003 ALCS plays out exactly as it happened in real life. Game seven in the Bronx, Grady Little, Pedro Martinez, Tim Wakefield, Aaron Boone. Happens I was, exactly there. I like was at the game, Dan. I was. You there. were there. I don't. Okay, I, I don't need game. to tell you. I was at the game. I don't need to tell you. Theo goes all in in the 0304 off season. Same thing plays out. Thanksgiving dinner at Kurt Schilling's house. Trades Casey Fossum for Schilling. Signs Keith Folk. Uh, did anything else happen in that offseason? Kevin Millar was already there. Ortiz was already there. That was pretty much it, I guess. It was just those two moves. <clears throat> now imagine everything played out the same way, but imagine Dave Roberts gets thrown out at second in game four. The Red Sox are swept 
in the 2004 ALCS. What is Theo's reputation at that point? And now further think to 2016 with the Cubs. And imagine that that Game 7 rain delay never happens. And the Cubs spirits are never buoyed by the magical, uber-motivational words of Jason Hayward in the clubhouse. And the Cubs going to lose that World Series. He was Theo Epstein is going to go down in history as probably the second greatest GM in, behind Branch Rickey right now based on the fact that he broke the curses of the Red Sox and the Cubs. Both of those things were so, so close to not happening. We're a coin, less than a coin flip away from not happening. And it's, if Dave Roberts gets thrown out at second, Theo is maybe just relegated to the dustbin of baseball GM history. Do you know that there were some people, this is like 20 years ago, obviously at this point, maybe not quite 20, because it's 20, it's late 2023 now, so maybe like 19, 18 years ago. And this was on Deadspin, the, the, the actual Deadspin, not zombie Deadspin. Not, not the zombie one, yeah. Right. Where some people saw Joe Buck in Vegas, and they were drunk, and he was not the soberest. And they mentioned this, and he's like, Dave Roberts was out. He wasn't. Uh, look, look, I've watched it subsequently. It's close. And in fact, I, sometimes close. I think it's it gets close, closer every that, time I see it. He's safe. It's so goddamn close. And there are times when I see the replay where look, like the throw beats him. The throw beats him. You're like, oh, it's shit. It's a perfect throw. It's a perfect throw. Yeah, perfect it is throw. a perfect throw. He, he, just, he just gets in there. He gets in there. He's safe. Shut the fuck up, Joe Buck. Right. Continue. But my point being that... Um, Is really close. As somebody who watches football and enjoys it, unlike you, <clears throat> I am maybe that's why I'm more like okay with living with, especially because it favors us, the events of a game that could not be repeated. Now, in football, for me, that goes both ways because, like, when the Patriots beat the Rams the first time, they were 14 point underdogs, but then they lost to the Giants as 14 point favorites. So, like, it goes both ways. But yeah, I mean, if Theo hadn't, if Theo hadn't won two, those two World Series, he would not be considered what he will be considered. And I, I agree with you uh, that as you were saying it, like he's the second best GM ever. And the, the, my mind immediately is like, well, okay, there's branch Ricky and who else. But then when you think about it, he kind of has to be number two. He kind of has to be number two. I will throw out one more name. I'll whisper it. Dave Dombrowski. <laughs> don't whisper. Is this sweet going to nothing? take first? Don't whisper sweet nothings here. His resume, when it's all said and done, is it's unparalleled. Fucking incredible. Unparalleled. It's unparalleled. Incredible. Four teams he made the World Series with now. Won it with two. Two. Won it with two, and made it with four. and 
and and what and what fans today seem to totally forget about him fans who just say oh he's just good at spending money and he destroys teams like he took over a tigers team that had just had one of the worst years in major league history he took over a tigers team that had a pitcher who had lost 20 games that had never happened before he spent four years four long years building that tigers organization up and then he made them into he took them to the world series in just four years i believe and then he kept them at the top of the american league for nine straight years nine straight years mike Marat, that's not baby. like that's not a guy who's just spending money recklessly it's not at all but, and yeah. even if he is the context in which he's spending money recklessly is a context in which if you just stop spending money recklessly, you will make money hand over fist. So it's not like you spent money recklessly and there's no way to make it back. Uh, yeah. it, it's more like you did it to achieve a goal and you achieved that goal. Yeah. And and still what, made a huge profit. <laughs> you know, they like these teams have never baseball teams do not go in the red. It does not they're not even close to the red. They are hundreds of millions of dollars insulated from the red every season. All right. I got I got my third one and this one might be I I'm not sure I believe this one. In fact, I'm not sure I want to say it, but I really gotta, I really, I really gotta get it out, spit it out. You're about to fall, spit it out before you fall asleep. I know. Into your microphone. I know. You're, this, this malt liquor is really, it's really dragging you down. Is the Mookie trade worse than the Babe Ruth trade? Is it, is it, I'm just asking. Is that a take or a question? It's both. I okay. feel like that that question itself is a take. <clears throat> All right, let's. I'm gonna I'm gonna break this down genuinely. First instinct is to say no, absolutely not. Babe so that's Ruth where I ended just... up, which is why I didn't want to say it, but I want to hear you talk through it. Okay, I don't have an answer yet. I'm just going to talk this through. I'm just going to I'm just going to get the brain moving here. <clears throat> First instinct is to say no, absolutely not. Babe Ruth is uh, the most famous American athlete of all time. There's no debate about that. No one Outside has of ever Carlos Quintana. Yes, sure. Yes, no one's ever dominated a sport and changed a sport the way that he has. Mookie Betts, God love him, will never, ever, 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 ever come close to having either the cultural impact that Babe Ruth had or the impact that Babe had on the field. He will never. It's just not possible. But he would whip his ass in bowling. He sure would. And Babe Ruth would whip his ass in moonshining or whatever else he's good at. That's very important. so that's my first instinct is to say no that it, it it couldn't possibly be worse. And then of course there's also the fact that the Babe Ruth wasn't traded; he was just straight up sold. 
He was just straight up sold. Same thing. Same thing. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing because there's a there was a baseball justification. There's a baseball justification for trading Mookie Betts. Like I just said, you're afraid you're going to lose him. I'd rather have the money than Alex Verdugo. Of course, but like the justification being that if you if you are certain that he's going to leave in free agency because he doesn't want to live in a city where cans of beer get tossed at his head, then you got to get something before you lose him for nothing. Babe Ruth was never going to be a free agent because there was no free agency. The, the Red Sox could have had Babe Ruth on their team for life if they wanted to. There was never any risk of losing him. So they just sold him for cash. All of those things are really, really bad. Mitigating factors. Absolutely. No one, including Babe Ruth himself, had any idea that Babe Ruth was going to become Babe Ruth because no one even knew it was possible to play the game the way he played it. No, like that was like you're basically no. If you had said to Harry Frazee, like, don't trade this guy because he's going to hit 60 home runs, like. Harry Frizzy's brain wouldn't be able to comprehend what this 60 is, home runs even meant. You understand that get this that is kind of my point, right? Like, uh, well, I did, yeah, yeah, it was okay. So you go now. He no, was also, no, by my the point way, being like, that, like, what Ruth did subsequent to the trade was so out of pocket that. Right. Just came out of nowhere. That, I mean, not out of nowhere. He led the league in home runs with the Red Sox, but nobody thought what he did with the Yankees was possible. Right, but my point being that, like, that's uh, an unknown unknown. Let's put it yeah. that way. Don, Don, and you Donnie can make an you like can make that. an argument too. You can make an argument too that <laughs> it's probably not a good argument, but the general consensus. In baseball today, as it probably was back then, is that a very good pitcher is more valuable than a very good hitter. You could make the argument that the Yankees were wrong to turn him into a full-time hitter if you want to. I probably wouldn't, but you could try it. You could do it on your take purge. You could certainly make the argument that Babe Ruth was a very disruptive clubhouse presence. He quit on the Red Sox at least one time in the middle of a season. I think it might have been more than once. He definitely, I think, punched a fan or his manager. Or, or no, he punched an umpire. Punched an umpire in the middle of a game once. Babe Ruth I mean, punched I, I, an I mean, umpire. I'm mean, not really against that. I feel like that's just... <laughs> no, you're not. Just <laughs> being a principled person. Just you have, you have principles. <laughs> And this guy, yeah, this but that could be disruptive. I admit that it Mookie Betts, Mookie Betts was feeding homeless people after games. Babe Ruth was punching umpires. I would love Mookie Betts to punch Angel Hernandez. That would be that would be my uh, <laughs> my. Shoot. If an ump, if a player punched an umpire today, it would be Mike. I mean. Like punches used to happen all the time. You know, Red Auerbach once punched uh, an opposing coach, like before a game in the NBA Finals. He punched like the coach of the St. Louis Hawks, I think they were at the time. Obviously, Babe Ruth punched umpires. We discussed like that shit happened all the time. And now it would just be, I mean, there was the the malice at the palace, of course. Which but, 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 but the malice at the palace dialogue. that wasn't against umpires, that was team on team violence. Like yeah. I, uh, 
we have i think what your point gets to is that umps are soft now and refs are soft and they deserve to be attacked and i agree with this take i agree with this take. and babe Let's, ruth would do it whereas mookie won't did yeah. i ever quick real quick before we before we move on because i just want to tell the story i don't know if i ever have let me just tell a story so my roommate in college was a degenerate gambler still is a degenerate gambler um and one night he had gambled on a, on a Yes. <laughs> and one night we're sitting in our dorm room and he he had he'd uh bet the uh under. He'd bet the under on a on a NBA game. And this is pre-streaming. And I get you know we had cable but it wasn't on national TV. So you know like back in the old days in the not even the old days in the in like the brief window between I guess like 2002 and 2007 maybe when like streaming started if you were following a sport online you would like pull up the ESPN live box score yeah of course. and it would say like Paul Pierce hits a two-pointer I mean you can still Celtics do that but you have better options right but no one does so we're sitting there in the dorm room on like a Tuesday night and he's got the over and we're following this game and it gets, it, it gets to the point where he's like, he's like one point away. He had, sorry, he had bet the under and they're like one point away from hitting the over. And he's sitting there, he's following along in ESPN and all of a sudden it stops updating. And he's like, what the shit is going on? And we're sitting there looking at this i mean i'm not that interested because i don't give a shit because no one cares about anyone else's gambling stories but he's like what's going on nothing like this game's not updating what's happening i'm like i i don't know we're sitting there what 10 minutes 15 minutes hasn't updated so we put on the tv we put on the espn like see what the hell happened it was the malice in the palace game oh, yeah. he had bet the under on that game and won the bet because they were one point away oh, from hitting the over when Ron Artest was hit with the beer. That's amazing. I was uh, I was on the Lower East Side, and my friend lived in Stytown, and we were at the Corova Milk Bar, which we always went used to go to with our friends at like 12, <clears throat> 1, 2 in the morning. And I went to his apartment after the bar just to hang out, smoke a little weed, and watch highlights. And it was that night. And we were like, what the ever loving fuck just happened and we just watched and like this is not this is pre-internet where you can just pull it up in your phone and just watch it all the time yeah, and we just yeah. watched this shit for like an hour and a half you had you had like, to just sit you just had to sit for the tv that's that was yeah, the only before i was like i gotta go back to astoria i'm gonna go get back on the train after watching this for 90 minutes all right all right. All right. I think you're up next. All right. I got two left. We're getting into cancellation territory. Nice. Number four. This is hard to say emotionally. Oh, boy. But as I think through it logically, I can't come to any other conclusion. We all would have been better off if it had been the Red Sox 
who moved to Milwaukee in 1952 oh, instead Christ. of the Braves. Okay, okay. Now, you're really, you're really, you're really in it now. All right. Now, let me say <laughs> a couple of things yourself. about this. Explain yourself. Okay, yes, it is emotionally jarring. It is emotionally jarring to even consider that. I get that. I understand that. But intellectually, we should all know that all of us here who are Red Sox fans because of New England roots we are Red Sox fans because of a total accident of history. Okay, we got to acknowledge that. None of us were around in 1952. Something happened in 1952, something random that had nothing to do with us. And if it had been the other this way around. Peter Gam- this is Peter Gammon's erasure. We wouldn't, we wouldn't think anything different. Okay, but now, now getting into the real reasons. Okay, first of all, if the Braves had stayed in Boston instead of the Red Sox, what are we not dealing with? We're not dealing with the thing we just talked about for five minutes, the curse of the Bambino. Yes, it's true that the Braves didn't win the World Series until the 90s. But the thing the thing about the curse of the Bambino and the thing that I think is pretty obvious that I'm surprised more, be- more baseball people don't talk about is that if you look at the four major quote-unquote curses in Major League history, the Red Sox curse – the Cubs taking 108 years from the World Series. The White Sox, who I think, what was there's 88 years, one year before the Red Sox, started one year before the Red Sox and one year after. And then the Phillies, the Phillies who were the losingest team in Major League history, did not win a World Series until 1980. Three of those quote-unquote curses are really, really explicable based on really dumb baseball and societal decisions. The one that's the one that I can't figure out is the White Sox one. I don't know enough about the White Sox to explain that. Nobody does. With the, no, nobody, nobody wants does. this. But the Cubs, the Cubs curse is 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 really really simple. Uh, the Cubs owner, what was his name? Walter Wrigley. Was it Walter? I don't know. Lou, Jim, Bob Wrigley, whatever his name was. The Cubs were the last team in Major League Baseball to create a farm system, and they were the last team by like decades. And it was because Wrigley correctly saw that the the farm system that was being quickly implemented throughout Major League Baseball was going to destroy independent minor league baseball in America. And he liked independent minor league baseball in America. He liked that there were teams in small towns and cities who were competing for meaningful trophies in meaningful leagues that had histories and that had players that had actual heritages with the teams they played with, and he didn't want to destroy it. And so he took a principled stance, and the Cubs were the last team in Major League Baseball to develop a farm system, and it hurt them really, really badly on the field. I admire him. I I would like to see an alternate timeline where his system of baseball prevailed over the one that did, but it really hurt the Cubs. With the Phillies and the Red Sox, it's really explicable. It was racism. It was racism. The Red Sox, as we all know, were the last team to integrate, and they weren't even close. Twelve years after Jackie Robinson, the, the Red Sox had Pumpsy Green. The Red Sox had a chance to sign Willie Mays. They had a chance to sign Jackie Robinson. They passed up on both of them because Tom Yaki was a racist piece of shit from South Carolina. The Phillies integrated before the Red Sox, but actually arguably did it in a worse way because like when the Red Sox finally integrated with Pumpsy Green, they were the last ones. Yes. But they were like, okay, fine. 
we're done now. Pumps is on the team. He's a legitimate major league baseball player. We will now sign black players. The Phillies beat the Red Sox integration by two years, but they did it with a guy named John Kennedy who was 30 years old. He was not a major league caliber baseball player. No, I mean, he's he a great politician. But he- great politician. Yeah. He, this is true. So the Phillies, this is the Phillies integrated with a guy named John Kennedy. Do you know how many major league at bats he got with the Phillies? Six. Two. He got two at bats. Then they just sent him back to the minors, and then they did not have another black player for three years. The Phillies' record was even worse than the Red Sox. It is not a coincidence that the Phillies are the losingest team in Major League Baseball and didn't win the World Series until 1980. It is not a coincidence that the Red Sox took 86 years between World Series. It was racism. So you take that out of play, we don't have the curse of the Bambino. Okay, so that's reason number one. We don't have to worry about that. Reason number two, now listen to this. Speaking of race, the Atlanta Braves, not a great record on race relations, right, John? <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm if doing the, the Braves, chop. For people who can't see this because do- it's not a video podcast, I'm doing the chop. Now, guess what? If the Braves had not left Boston, there would be no tomahawk chop. And I don't say that because of any, you know, any sort of notion that people in Boston are more progressive than people in Atlanta or anything like that. I say that I mean, because they probably at, are, even if that's well, they probably low, are. It's a very low bar to clear. Yes, but here's the thing: the Atlanta Braves didn't invent the tomahawk chop. Atlanta Braves fans stole it from Florida State football fans. That's true. And the thing is, nobody in New England has ever seen a single down of Florida State Seminole football. So Boston Braves fans would have never stolen the Tomahawk Chop. We wouldn't know what the Tomahawk Chop was today if the Braves had never left Boston. So that's reason number two. Reason number three, what we're just talking about again, no Yankees-induced anxiety. I can't tell you how much time I've spent my life hating the Yankees feeling legitimately stressed about the Yankees' existence and success. If my baseball team was in the National League, poof, it disappears. I don't hate Derek Jeter. I don't hate the pinstripes. I probably dislike them strongly. Do you think that there's an equivalent that you would – do you think it's possible? Well, like if you were in the Giants and Dodgers, I feel like the Giants and Dodgers are – even if we don't – understand it or acknowledge it because our beefs are correct and uh uh justifiable that they have those same things even if they're uh derivative and false well i won't look i'm not going to go out and say that the giants dodgers rivalry is less intense even though it is i'm not going to say that well they live in california (laughs) so you know, every fan experiences sports differently, and I don't want to put notions to other people's heads. But the, the the difference between the two rivalries that is undisputed is that the Giants-Dodgers rivalry is not and has never been, or at least since 1955, has not been one-sided. The, the, the angst that the Yankees still cause me to this day is because I grew up believing that they were destined to always win and that the Red Sox never would. 
right? Like that's the that's the pain that I one of the worst nights of my life as a sports fan was a night when no Boston sports team was playing. It was the it was the it was the night of Derek Jeter becoming quote unquote Mr. November in the 2001 World Series. That was one of the worst nights of my life as a sports fan. The Red Sox weren't playing because I was just sitting there flabbergasted, slack-jawed in total disbelief at what I just saw and I was sitting there saying to myself as a high school kid like fuck, there is something cosmic here. The Yankees are always going to do this. The Red Sox never, never are. Now, obviously, I'm older and more mature now, and the tables have turned in the rivalry. But that pain is still there. I'm older. But that pain is still there. I don't think Dodgers and Giants fans have that same pain because since 1955, they've traded periods of success. Well, the Giants had for a long time. It's important to note that before they were even your magic, the Giants hadn't won shit in San Francisco. True. They had never won in San Francisco. But that is true. Point, but it's not like it's, the Dodgers. It's 2023. You know, they started that 13 years ago. Yeah. And it's almost yeah. 2024. So before That is true. But the Dodgers weren't like the Yankees in that period. They'd had their period of success. The Dodgers have never been. And, like, as much as they spend like them, they're not the Yankees. They no, have never pulled it not. off. No. The Astros yes. have come much closer, frankly, um, yeah. than the Dodgers have. So we wouldn't have that pain. We wouldn't have Yankee pain. Um, and then last but not least, I think uh, Nickerson Field is maybe would have been a better ballpark than Fenway is. It's, it's bigger than, it was bigger than Fenway. Um, Fenway is more centrally located, which I obviously like as a ballpark, but the fact of the matter is that Boston and all of Massachusetts is in a housing crisis right now from a pure urban planning standpoint, the land that Fenway Park sits on would probably be better. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. It would probably be put to better use if it were housing, whereas Nickerson Field was a little bit more on the outskirts on the banks of the Charles River. It would, if, look, it wasn't built to orient to the river back in the day, but in the post-Camden Yards world, it would have been renovated the Red Sox, or not the Red Sox, the Boston baseball team would play in a beautiful historic old riverfront stadium today. Um, I don't know so if I told you this, you but I, when I was a, like 20 years ago, I had, there was like a local reporter breakfast with Bloomberg when he was mayor. And I asked him, you know, what are your memories of being a Boston person or what were you a fan of? He was like, oh, Warren Spahn lived down the block. So we were <laughs> Boston Braves fans. And I was like, Bob Kraft well, okay. was a Braves fan too, I think. I was like, I was like, I was like, okay, well, there are excuses that would sound like cop-outs, but that one actually, okay, I believe that one. Like if Warren Spahn lived down the block and you saw him, you probably You'd be a Braves fan. Yeah, yeah. And Hank Aaron. Hank fucking Aaron. Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. All right. This isn't one I had on my um on my list, but um I'm just gonna say it because this is uh we're getting spicy and we're getting toward the end. Um Wrigley Field, fuck off. Just, <laughs> just fuck I off. love Wrigley. Yeah, great. Fuck off. Worst people okay. in the world. Elaborate. Elaborate. 
worst fans in the world. Um, literally, just the just terrible, uh, the worst type of people. Do you have uh, a story? Because okay. I've been to Wrigley a couple of times. I've enjoyed every trip. First of all, it's a bar for like seventeen-year-olds. Like you, that's that's what Wrigley feels. So is. is Fenway right now. So is Fenway these days. Yeah, but you need to have like six fake IDs. So you have to get. You really have to try to do it. I'm not saying that Wrigley and Fenway are all that different, my friend. I'm not. Um, but. <laughs> I think the Red Sox are way more interesting than the Cubs ever have been. Well, that's and, definitely true. And I think that has a lot to do with it. And I think that the Wrigley Field filleting has way more to do with Wrigley Field than it does with the Cubs, which I don't think is the case with the Red Sox. I think that the obsession with Fenway ultimately has to do with the Red Sox. Fenway is great, but it's the Red Sox that are the important thing. Whereas the Cubs, I think Wrigley Field is the important thing. And the Cubs are just there. But mostly, I I just don't like the people at (laughs) Cubs games, so fuck them. I'm gonna I'm gonna improv. I'm gonna Go I'm gonna for call it. an audible audible hot take here. Please do that. That doesn't nece- that disagrees with you while agreeing with you. Please do the hot take is, and I actually this is something I actually have believed for a long time. I think Wrigley Field is actually a better and more beautiful ballpark than Fenway. I have no issue, but I do that, think you're right. But I do think you're right that games at Fenway are a different more intense more the Cubs are not supposed experience. to win like forget the fact that they broke their curse right <laughs> the whole point of the cubs is not to win it's to play afternoon baseball like yeah. that is the point of the cubs fenway is always vibrating in a way that no other venue in all of sports is That's and what she I, said. I you know that <laughs> That is what she said because I, 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 I took my the first time I took my wife to Fenway Park, and and you know my wife is, is she's not a huge sports fan, but she's well I've never met her so I don't know. She, yeah, she also doesn't like she doesn't hate sports. She's been to plenty of games. She's watched plenty of sports. She likes having first children. time I took her to Fenway. She does. Yeah, that's kind of a sport. Which was an April. It was a Bitterly cold April regular season game. Uh, fucking freezing. But we went there, and as you, it was Fenway as usual, packed crowd, buzz in the atmosphere. And she said at one point, like in the sixth inning, she was like, I didn't realize that just a regular season game could feel special the way it does here. And she wasn't talking about the Green Monster. Like she was talking about the buzz that just is just there. always just in there. the crowd. Like this is like Fenway. this is an important thing that I'm seeing, right? And the way that the crowd is on every pitch, and the way that you're all jammed together, like that's what she was talking about. And you really do see it 
when you go to new ballparks where the fans aren't, I, I like, I, I really think that the thing that creates the buzz in Fenway is the proximity of the fans to each other. Like, I really think that's what it, it is. It also creates just the Boston more... Red Sox betting champions. That's not a joke. Like, the lack of more than any other team makes it cozy and yeah. also eliminates foul balls. Yeah, There's a reason that the team. A's don't get a lot of batting champions. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. The Red Sox are not going to hold that title for much longer, by the way. That I, I, I looked this up for some article that I wrote uh, sometime this summer. The, the Rockies, unsurprisingly, are rapidly catching up with the Red Sox. So they're not – for that. that's something that for all of our lives had been true. The Red Sox had more batting champions than the other teams. Well, so at least they're in the NL. Not going to be true for our children. <clears throat> all right. All right. Got Anything else on Wrigley? Let's go. All right, my last one. For everything I just said about Yankee angst, oh my hot take is that – I'm actually glad that the Yankees exist and are what they are because it makes following the sport so much more interesting. See, I agree with that because that's like a carrot and a stick thing. It, yeah, it's just true. That's what the Yan- the, the Soto deal is like. Okay, now what are we going to do about it? Now, I don't think I would have said that in 2001. Good, it doesn't make me good in the. It doesn't make me feel good in the sense that like I don't think we can actually add someone as good as Juan Soto. But just in aggregate, I'm happy that, like, we're a dog chasing a car, not a dog chasing another dog. It's fun. I I legitimately feel bad for baseball fans of, like, the Mariners who, you know, have a rich history and a really exciting team right now. And they obviously hate the Astros, you know, I'm sure. And they probably hate the Dodgers too, just because they're on the West Coast. And they probably, and they hate us and the Yankees, but they don't have what we, they don't have the blood feud that we have. And it legitimately, genuinely makes following the sport and the team so much more fun. That I, I feel bad for fans of other teams who don't have this. We pity you guys. All right. Here's my last one. And this is, I, I had this one and I forgot it and I remembered and I forgot it. And, now I remember it again. and again, this is the take purge. So I you can't hold me to this. I won't. As long as you don't hold and me I've for saying the Red Sox should have moved to Milwaukee. I said the exact opposite too. So like, please. But the Devers contract is trash. <laughs> Uh, this chose, is something we might wrong. actually have to have conversation wrong, about. And they did it because they fucked up twice, and then they decided the third time. Like, let's get it right the third time. We might um, actually have no, to have a real conversation no, in about defense, this New Year in their, in their defense, I'm in their defense. I am like sort of objectively wrong in the sense that like his talent level is such. And his pay is such that those two things are going to line up to some degree going forward. I, I have no doubt about that. Like, yeah. I, I acknowledge. But he that. also may never be like a six-win player ever again. Like that just might not happen. Yeah, I think the best times are probably behind him. I um, don't. Th- I'm not ready to say that. I'm not ready to say that. He's young as shit still. He's not. Though. 
He's not young as shit. He's young. He's not young as shit. No, he is young as shit. I will not say his best times are behind him. I will say that his value, his overall value is severely limited by his defensive deficiencies. <laughs> and he needs to be a much better hitter to live up to the reputation the that he's already time, earned. Even if he was a giant albatross, imagine he's Chris Sale 2.0. Yeah. Like... Who gives a shit? First of all, he's not Chris L2.0 because he'd play. He would not be. He would not I don't be think a position player ever could be. Really. Right. Uh, it's like not possible for a position player to be as bad of a contract as Chris Sale. One point being that. I just don't think. I understand entirely how it happened, and I even support them doing it, but it doesn't mean it's a good contract. That's a garbage take. <laughs> That's the whole point. But we will, but we will be, but we will be talking about it ten months from now. I bet, and ten years from now, basically, yeah. was it eleven year contract? Like everybody had an eleven year contract. All right, we're nearing the end. Do you have any recommendations, Dan? I do have a recommendation. Um, it's a life recommendation. It's not a TV or a book or a movie. Um. It is almost Christmas. We're recording this on the twenty first. So I don't know, but so like I used to, uh, I've always loved Christmas. I've always really loved the run up to Christmas. In a lot of ways, I think that's more fun than Christmas Day. But I always hated the first few days after Christmas because it felt like a big emotional letdown. And I've changed my tune on that as I've aged. And big Boxing Day now well a little bit I mean, yeah it, it, that's kind of where i'm going here when i lived in new york and when i worked in midtown my boss would take off the entire week between christmas and new year's every year um and she was not a good boss she was a very poor boss and in fact the first year she did this she didn't even tell me so i just did i showed up that on like the 26th was even <laughs> I do know people who worked for him. He wasn't a good boss either. But so, um, so anyway, so that week was slow as hell. And I developed a little tradition of my own where I would once, once, a, once a week during that week, I would pick a day and I would go to the Grand Central Oyster Bar. Oh, man, it's so good. I and I would like until, bring it. I had not. I had not been until like a year and a half ago. So I. So they have a to go counter where I and I would frequently go there and just get like a bowl of chowder for my lunch. But every year in the week between Christmas and New Year's, I would pick one day. I would like bring a book and I would just sit there and yes. I would order a couple of beers and I would order some oysters and i would just like sit there for like 90 minutes and enjoy the hell out of my lunch and one thing i realized one day while i was doing that cuz and i would look around and you know, like the christmas decorations were obviously still up christmas music was still playing and it kind of hit me that that was actually like christmas with all the good parts of christmas still attached to it but all the more stressful things gone cuz yeah. there is stress in christmas like yeah, you of course i mean i've like I've got like 19 things I have to assemble 
over the next three nights and you know you, you're traveling and just like you're busy you've got stuff to do and then all of that stops on the 26th but like the aesthetic beauty of christmas is still there the sense that the world has kind of stopped for something is still there but the pressure is gone yeah and so Definitely. now i kind of I'll give you like, this. I kind of like bar. this like, week. The sense time has stopped is like really overwhelming when you go in. There. Yeah. Like that, really. that is like the most overwhelming thing. It's like I am walking into a place where 50 years ago it was the exact same thing to walk into this place. Um, and so now, as a result of my lunches there, I've kind of flipped in recent years where now I almost view. Christmas as just like Christmas is just the starting gun to get to that week. Yeah. To get to that week where everything is just no one if you don't want to be bothered, you don't have to be bothered that week. Everyone steps back. So my recommendation sometime next week go out in the middle of the day, go to a nice restaurant you wouldn't normally go to and just turn your phone off and drink and have some oysters. That's my recommendation. That's nice. But when I went there with a friend of mine, I had never been, and I worked very close for a while to Grand Central. And we went, and the thing that I'll remember is because I like being a Martha's Vineyarder, I have a thing against freshwater fish. I'm biased against them. I hate them. But he got us this smoked trout at the Oyster Bar. And fucking hell. My God, it was so good. It was like, it was a uh, mind expanding. Um, and, 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 but as you said, it's like, it's, it's uh, anyone who listens to this, like, oh, I don't like, it doesn't matter. If you ever go to Grand Central State Terminal and you might in your life and you, all you need to go to the Oyster Bar, go to the Oyster Bar, have a beer. All you just, yeah, go there. You just don't even need to do anything else. Just go in there. Just go in there. Mm-hmm. It's like it's 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 like something like Faneuil Hall, but it's like oh, it's a hundred times better than Faneuil. Well, okay, so you're the one who lives in Boston, so you have to deal with that shit. I don't have to. Faneuil Hall is 100% tourists. Well, Grant, I guess Grand Central is probably like 90% tourists. No, too. I mean we we get the uh, commuters like me. Um, though I yeah, don't, that's true. Though I don't actually work there. Like my ex-wife, if you see a blonde lady from the suburb, that's that's my ex-wife. Say hi. Um, what? W- Just gonna start <laughs> saying hi to every blonde lady I pass. Hey, ex Mrs. Joiner, what's happening? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Uh, my recommendation is a uh, goodwill toward men and peace on earth. That's I thought you were going to say Goodwill Hunting. No. That's <laughs> Goodwill Hunting is also good. I haven't seen that in so long. Um, I'm sure it's on TBS right now if you want. Probably. But that's all I got. Dan, do you have anything else before we uh, wrap up? I do not. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry so Christmas, so we're, not, Year, we're not going to record next week. I guess because I just talked about how the world. I need everybody to. I need everybody to realize this. We want overthemonster.com to be the number one Red Sox fan site, and 
the number one Red Sox site. So please, people, help us do this. Follow us for this podcast. Like and subscribe. And for the website, read the stuff because it's good. And I do think that what we do, we do as good as anybody. And I hate to be earnest about anything. But I think that's the case. And I think it's because of Dan, because Dan's the editor. I don't do anything. And this is, I'm saying this stuff so I don't have to do it, though I probably end up well doing it. But um, let's make 2024 in always a better year for the Monsters of Sox slash over the Monster community than 2023 was because 2023, well, was great in many monsters of socks and over the monsters way sucks for the red socks. So let's pay that forward. I, I like that you snuck your one earnest moment of the year in there just right before the bus, right at <laughs> right the fucking the bus. death, <laughs> right at the fucking death. That is Dan. I am Brian. We will talk to you next year. Take care.